0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Halakha 101 class taught by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz.
1: We're going to talk a little bit about, there are actually some very long halakhot that we're going to look at today um, on Shabbat specifically um, in terms of uh vessels for heating. So we're gonna look at some different names for those vessels and also um what you can do in terms of touching them or using them or anything like that. So um I'm gonna share my screen here. So we are on Shuchan Aruch Simon 252 and we're at Sa'if 6. We're about to actually finish this Siman and then we're gonna go to the next one. Loyatza Adam Erev Shabbat, samuch So you should not. A person should not go out on Erev Shabbat. Remember, when we say Erev Shabbat, we're talking about Friday. Um, samuch, meaning close to darkness. So a person shouldn't go out on Friday close to darkness. Bemachatobayado with a with some kind of needle or a or it's saying here pin um in his hand. So specifically with his needle or pin. So if he's some if he's a person who sews clothing or somehow his job has to do with um with a needle, right? He's not supposed to go out with it in his hand. Velo be kolmoso. I guess that means his quill pen. Um, so you might come to forget that you have those things in your hand, right? You might come to forget that you have a pin in your hand because it's small or a quill in your pocket maybe because you always have a quill in your pocket. This is specifically getting at the fact that If you are someone who uses these things all the time, you might have them on you all the time, right? You might always have similar to kind of how we all are with a phone now, right? It's always on our person. So if you were a writer, you might always have a quill on you. Or if you were um, a tailor, you might always have some kind of needle, you know, in your in your clothing or something so that you could you could use it at a minute's notice. So what the Shulchan Aruch is saying here is because you might come to forget that you have those things on you, which you're not supposed to use on Shabbat, you should make sure to, to not go out um, on erev Shabbat with them on you, because if it becomes dark out and you have them on you, you've now transgressed a certain law of Shabbat by having those items of um of muksa on you. But you can go out with tefillin close to dark because you're not going to forget. Excuse me. That you have them on, right? Fill and are very bulky and you also only wear them at certain times during the day, certain time really during the day, though there were a class of rabbis who wore them all day long uh back in the day. So it, it could be that even on a Friday you would wear them up until up until Mincha. Um so this is basically saying that you uh that you would not want to go out with things that are normal for you to have on your person, but something like chilling, which is not so normal and is also going to take a very good portion of your um, uh, of your wherewithal, right? Like you would know for sure that this is something that you have on. Uh, you can go out with that before dark because you'll know to take it off. Does anybody have any questions about this before we go to the next one? It's pretty self-explanatory. Again, we don't have something like this in today's day other than maybe a phone. Um or maybe pens if people keep pens in their pocket all the time or something like that. Any questions though on this?
0: What about if you're carrying the filling in a bag, but you're not wearing?
1: So I think sorry, I got very little sleep last night. I am not yawning because you guys are boring. Um the the it's still muxa, right? So even if you have it in a bag you shouldn't be carrying it and you probably because it's heavy unlike again they're imagining like a needle in your in your lapel or a pen in your pocket or something like that that you just might actually forget you have on you because it's so light and and you always do but if you're holding a bag and you know it has something in it you'll probably recognize that you shouldn't have it um, people do this all the time though, with wallets nowadays, right? Like if they take their purse to shul and they forget that their wallet is in it or their phone is in it, all of a sudden they're carrying around books, so which they didn't mean to carry around. So that, that, it that could be a very, um, a very similar example, even though filling is a little bit, a little bit heavy, heavier.
2: Yeah. I just don't get why they're so specific about a needle slash pin, uh, admittedly that's something you might have stuck in you're right in a in a in a sleeve or a lapel or something. Yeah. But a quilt pin, believe me, you're not gonna just have that sitting in your pocket. It's gonna be messy or you're gonna break it. But hope about all the other things, I mean, certainly in modern day times we carry all kinds of stuff on 'em. I don't I don't know about women, but you know, I've always got keys in both pockets and a pocket knife and um, uh, you know, a comb and Business cards and all kinds of stuff that, that are on me pretty much every time I'm out of the house. So, yeah, a why they're so specific about these particular things? It's just, but that's I guess strictly the way Tallman works.
1: Well, I think it's these particular things because they're light and they would be things that people would have on them all the time. So it's like today's modern day phone or pen or pencil like my grandfather always has like three pens in his in his front pocket um so if he was worried right there you go so if he was worried about carrying on Shabbat he would want to on Friday morning take those pens out of his pocket so that he didn't show up to services for example with that pen um I you know I think that though the quill might have made a mess if you if you're a person who's using a quill all the time
3: you probably would have one
1: on you all the time is my guess, but that's that's why they're using these as examples because they're easy to forget on your person. Okay. Yeah. Take
2: your words for it doesn't make sense, but a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, Annette. Well,
4: uh, if 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 you're a rabbi uh, or a sofa, I mean, you would want to re- be sure to remove the quill. Yeah. or that would be something you would use for work, and I know, for example. That, uh, Abe, Abe, always had like, uh, some little pocket per, uh, protector. And he definitely took that out Friday night. <laughs> you know, every, what he would, uh, what he would use it uh, for work.
1: Yeah, so that's exactly right. Um, what they are getting at here is that you wouldn't want to have any kind of muksa on you and so you're exact you're just using the modern day example which is which is exactly right of of having that pen in your pocket. That's great. Um, okay. Let's go to uh here. Okay. So mitzvah lemashmesh adam bechelav veerev shabbat samuch So it's a mitzvah for a person to actually Touch their vessels, meaning look in their vessels, check to see what's in them on Air Shabbat close to dark. Um, let's say phoba shabbat, to make sure that there's nothing in them that is asur, that is forbidden to have in them that you would then take out on Shabbat. So this is exactly what I was mentioning before. Uh, with you know, if I have a tote that I use all the time for Shabbat, if I used it during the week. I actually have a very good example. On uh Sunday of Koltafila. I put a bunch of pens and other kinds of things in the tote bag that I could very well use the coming Shabbat, right? It's a just general tote bag that I might grab in the morning on Saturday to walk to shul. And if I didn't check that before I walked to shul, it's possible that I'm walking to shul with muksa. So what this is saying is it's actually... Um, a mitzvah to make sure that you check those vessels that you would use so that you're not walking around with mukzah. Because if you're walking around with mukzah, you, you are violating a prohibition of Shabbat without even knowing it. Um, and so you would want to check those, those vessels before, before dark so you can take them out before Shabbat starts. Okay. We're going to move on. Is, oh yeah. Jeff, go ahead.
0: Uh, I thought Muksa was, you weren't supposed to really have it with you because you might use it. It wasn't just having it with you. Right. That was the prohibition, but it was using it. Correct. Like you, might have, you might have money in your pocket. And if you didn't buy anything, well, okay. But, but money apparently is muxa because you might be, you might use it without thinking
1: so muksa is anything that you would come to use that would violate shabbat in some way so if you have a pen in your bag for example and you don't know that it's there you are in a in a In a crazy legal way in Judaism, you are not violating Shabbat until you recognize that that pen is there. But as soon as you recognize that that pen is there on, you know, Saturday morning, when you take your talis out of that bag and the pen comes flying out, now all of a sudden you have violated Shabbat because you've seen that you were carrying around muksa. So you're right. If you go an entire Shabbat and you have some kind of muksa on you and you don't even know it. Then have you violated Shabbat? Probably not because you were in a state of unknown, right? So that's a very different state um, in terms of legal matters in Judaism than if you are knowingly doing something. But if you have something on you that is muksa and you come to recognize it in the middle of Shabbat, it's as if you've known all along. So what this is, what this halakha is telling us is to make sure that you've checked all of those different vessels that you're going to use and therefore know that you're not going to somehow violate Shabbat by, um, by coming to use a vessel that would have some muksa in it.
0: And so if you do discover that you have this on your person. Yeah. And therefore you violated Shabbat. What is the, I want to say the remedy, but what steps do you need to take um, as a result of that violation?
1: Yeah, so you probably, you know, if you're the most from opinion would be that you leave the bag where it is, um, that you don't continue to carry it around. Um, The. The kind of second best opinion is to somehow get the item out of the bag without touching it, whether that's turning the bag over or um, having a child remove it uh, because the child isn't yet legally responsible for these kinds of laws on Shabbat um, so that would be the second option. And then, you know, a modern day 2022 option would be to remove the thing from the bag and just not touch it for the rest of Shabbat. So, you know, that would be, and some people wouldn't be comfortable with that even in 2022, but it is the case that that is, that 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 is probably the most reasonable, right? If you, if I show up to Shul by accident with a tote bag that has my cell phone in it, I'm not going to walk into services with my cell phone just so that I just so that I don't touch it to take it out of the bag. I'm going to take it out of the bag and leave it in my office. Um, that's never happened <laughs> to me before, but I imagine that that's what I would do because that that feels to me to be less egregious than coming to services with my phone, um, which seems to be the inappropriate choice. I was yeah. just going to note
2: this. Strikes me as a little bit like the people who end up being caught at a TSA checkpoint with a handgun in their bags. You know, I didn't know it was there. I forgot. Oh, come on, folks.
1: Yeah. Well, that's different, right? Because that, that is, that is intentional. Whereas if you, if you have a pen in the bottom of a bag, which, you know, could have been there for years, um, you just might not notice it until you're, emptying out the bag. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think there, there are all kinds of ways in which we forget things that are in a vessel, which is why it's saying to check it before you leave, because you would want to make sure that once Shabbat starts, you, you don't have to then check those vessels. Um, Okay. So let's go on to Simon 253. This is actually a completely different topic. So we're gonna, we're gonna move on to now. I told you we are going to be talking about heat. So this has to do with a tannur, which is an oven. Um, so let's just, okay. So you can tell I'm not going to look at the Hebrew and the English at the same time. It's very long. Um, that very often the first seif, the first, um, halacha of a Siman is going to be uh, more introductory than it is practical halacha, so that's that's what's going to be happening here. The laws of kira and a tanur, so two different kinds of oven, placing pots on them on erev Shabbat. So this is the title. So the laws of um one type of thing, which is more like a a big cauldron, and a tanur is uh, is more like a like an outside oven, like what you might what you might now visualize as like a pizza oven. A kira is one which is constructed in the shape of a large kettle. Pots are placed on top of it where it has, sorry, its mouth, and there is room for placing two pots. So imagine just a very large cauldron, right, that somehow has like grooves for two pots to be on top of it. If this kira was fired by means of um let me look up the let me look up the Hebrew word because I don't think that gefes is how you say it in Hebrew. Um yeah, gafat um or gefet, um which is a type of like olive pulp um from from making olive oil. Uh, or with wood, one may not place food on it to cook in the evening on air er Shabbat with the intention of leaving it there until after Shabbat arrives unless the food has already been fully cooked and is shrinking so this is um this is the kind of vessel that you are not allowed to to leave food on because it would continue the the cooking process. So this is similar to like a blech nowadays, right? That if you, you fully cooked the uh, baked ziti and you put the, you put the baked ziti on the plata, on the blech so that it stays warm for, for Shabbat lunch or for Friday dinner, if Shabbat comes in early and you leave it there, but it's not going to cook the dish more to its, um, positive taste. It could cook the, the dish more to a negative taste, right? It says here, with the intention of leaving it there, um, to its detriment, right? That it might burn or it might get really dry, um, by leaving it there, but it's not going to get better. It's not chullant, right? We're not, we're not leaving it somewhere so that it can continue to cook to become better. We're just simply trying to heat it. So a kira, um, you cannot, you, you can't use it for, for cooking type purposes. Um, but you can use it for like a, a heating type purpose. Does that make sense to everybody before I move on? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But if it's to its detriment, right, if it's going to burn or make something dry or whatever, in which case it, it need not be feared that the coals in the stove will be stirred. So, There is a, I'm going to go back up to the Hebrew again. There is a concept. You want to see this? Okay. Nidvashel kol tzerko vehumi stamek ve'ralo. What that means, this is a very, very popular halakhic term for, um, for cooking on Shabbat. So that it would be cooked all of its way, right? Sorcho is all that it is needed to cook. The who meets to amek, that it would continue to sit there veralo and therefore become worse, not come better, not become better, excuse me. And where uh, hold on a second. So then it says, right? That it, that you would leave it there and it would become better. That's when it's not okay because you can't have it cooking more on Shabbat because we're not supposed to cook on Shabbat. Um, okay, so here's that the the um the term that I was looking for, for the the stoking of the coals, which is where we get the idea of using a blef or a crock pot because unlike a stove which obviously we don't use cold any longer but Unlike a stove, you wouldn't come to turn the knob or in their case, stoke the coals to make the fire either bigger or smaller. So it says here, Deheinu are, shechaseh hagechalim. Gechalim are coals. So the way in which you would stoke the coals to either make the fire bigger or that you would cover them with ash, which we're going to see in a second here, to make the... um to make the fire smaller. Uh, hold on one second, let me just let Caibal in. Okay, any questions about this before I get back into the English? Okay, so it is also permitted to place the pot on the stove if the food is raw. So it's not been cooked at all. This is why um, uh, chulent is okay, right? You leave it to cook and then you you don't do anything to it right so it's completely raw um since it is raw one will not pay attention to it until the next morning right you're not going to come over to your um cholent pot and take a bite of something 2 hours in it's going to be completely raw still so you need to let it sit and it's going to continue to cook until the next day so the reason that we're not worried about that is because There's, though it's not getting worse with the cooking, obviously it's getting better. It's going to, it's a, it's a process that takes so long that there's no fear that you're going to stoke the coals, so to speak, that you're going to mess with it such that it would get better because there is nothing that can get better. You need to let it sit and, um, and continue to, to cook over time. Um, However, if the food is cooked a little bit, or even if it is fully cooked, but shrinking through the cooking will benefit it, we are concerned that the coals might be stoked. So an example of this would be um, cooking something longer. Well, I guess you can use, you can actually use chulint as the same the same example, but just that you started the chulint earlier on in the day, right, that the longer the chulint cooks, the better it's gonna be. But if it's already cooked by the time shabbat starts and now you're letting it sit overnight you it might be that you would turn the crock pot off or turn it to warm because it's starting to boil or whatever you don't want you don't want to be tempted by whatever the the item is to somehow uh manage or uh or um i keep on saying mess with um tamper with the uh the heat of the item in order to either cook it or or uh or let it sit. Uh Annette, I think it, I saw your hand. Oh, just unmute first.
4: Uh, I'm glad to ask about uh the, the yeah. uh, black. Yeah. Uh, uh uh I haven't used a bluff uh for years because uh I've used uh my oven yeah, <laughs> yeah overnight. Yeah uh, but uh, uh, uh some of the bluffs you put water in, right? Uh, the, I, I've never seen that maybe. I thought that the water heats up and that's what really keeps the food kind of warm.
1: Oh, so will you might oh uh I don't think the only kind of block that I've ever seen is one that's either electric or goes over um a stove.
4: Yes, of course it goes over the stove. I, I thought that there was one okay so uh, uh uh so so we're talking about if you put something in an oven let's say yeah, uh and uh you're saying let's say you don't have enough water in the pot uh cholt or something like that and even though you have it very low and you your experience it starts drying up so what you're saying is that that Makes it, uh, uh, it's, uh, um, excuse the uh, terminology, but it's almost like, uh, it's not edible. Is that what you're saying? Correct. I, uh, That's right. Halachically, it's not edible. So it's not that halachically, it's, well, well, maybe. I'm just trying to get the definition of what makes it uh, unedible. Sure, mean, some sure. things, some things are a little dry anyway, no matter even if it's not for Shabbat. But, right. but, but, but what you're saying is if you put it in the oven, let's say, or on, uh, on the breath and you don't have enough water and it goes down, mm-hmm. uh, does that become, uh, unedible as far as you're concerned? I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what your terminology is. Totally. If I'm interrupting. Not at all. No, That's a good question. So you are, you're,
1: you're actually talking about two different things, which is great. So one of, one of the things that you're mentioning is, is it an unedible halakhically? right? Someone might say if they keep Shabbat very strictly, someone might say if you've added water to something once Shabbat has already started, it's as if you've cooked on Shabbat. And so, yes, it is unedible. I, I, though I wouldn't do that in my own home. If I went to someone else's home, I would never ask, when was the last time you touched this dish? Oh my god, uh, no, of
4: course not.
1: So, so that, um, that, you know, when you say, when you say halakhically inedible, you are totally correct in terms of the, the letter of the law. I'm not sure that the spirit of the law would, would say so. But the second thing that you're mentioning is that you would want to make sure that the, challenge or whatever it is that you're cooking has everything that it needs to sit from the time that you start it to the time that you're going to eat it without having it need to be touched so that's why sometimes some people end up with more watery challenge or drier challenge because they don't want to touch it while it's cooking over shabbat because that would be considered cooking so i hope that i hope that clarifies for you what the two different pieces but those are both very good questions any other questions mike do you have a question no okay i thought i saw you moving towards asking something okay so (laughs) um i've come to recognize all of your everybody's you know body language on zoom also um okay so here here we're gonna talk about an oven, like a pizza oven, again, that is, it's gonna talk about it being raked, right? So the coals might not be in it anymore, but the ashes are there and therefore making it um, cooler because the ashes are present and therefore the the um, heat is dampened. So it says here, therefore leaving it on the stove is forbidden. Uh, unless the stove is raked. In other words, all the coals are removed from it or are covered with ashes. In other words, the coals are covered with ashes to less lessen the heat's intensity, all right? So you can leave it. I've done this many times. If I'm rushing to shul and I know that my, uh I don't know, potatoes have 10 minutes left on them, and Shabbat doesn't actually start for another 20 minutes, but I have to leave the house right now. I'll turn the oven off. It was just at, let's say, 400 degrees, and I'll let the potatoes sit in the oven while the while the oven cools itself down, but I'll let the potatoes stay in the oven so that they cook for those extra 10 minutes. Again, Shabbat doesn't start for 20, but I have to leave. And because the the oven will be cool by the time I get back, it's not like it's continued to cook once Shabbat has started. So that's the modern day example. What it's saying here is, if you use an oven that had coal, you know hot coals in it, and now you've raked the coals out, so it's starting to cool down, you then can have some kind of tray of food or or um, or vessel with food on it to stay warm or do what mine often does, which is finish those last few minutes of cooking while I'm not home. And then, you know, it's no longer cooking because the the oven is going to become cold after a while. Um, uh If a raw piece of meat is put into the pot, it is permitted just as if it would consist entirely of... Wait, if a raw piece of meat is put into the pot, it is permitted just as if it would consist entirely of raw meat, since now you will not pay attention to the entire pot. So what this is saying in very poor English is if a raw piece of meat is put into this pot... But there's other stuff in the pot. So let's say there's potatoes and vegetables and whatever. You're making a stew, right? So everything else has begun to cook, but now the raw meat is being put in last, which I don't think you would do, but we're just going to go with the shohanara for a second. Um, It's permitted because the raw meat is is what we would call the ikar, the essence of what the dish is going to be. So it's as if the entire pot is full of... um is full of this raw meat. And so that's now okay to do. Okay, sorry, I just lost my place. Since now, if the if you're considering that whole pot to be full of raw meat, now you're not gonna pay attention to the entire pot because now that you've put the meat in, you're gonna let it sit for however long it needs to sit. You're not gonna stoke it. So even if there are other things in the pot, once you put that raw meat or raw whatever inside and you know to let it sit for however long, that's okay because you know that you're not going to touch it. Um, yeah.
2: And I assume that that would be the case, even if you already had meat in there, if you've just added more meat before Shabbat,
1: that's right. Okay. Yeah. So the, the piece of raw meat or, you know, beans that need longer to cook or whatever it's going to be that, that needs more time without your, you know, supervision, um, you can let it go because you're not going to stoke the cold or do anything again this is why challenge is such a great example because though we don't cook challenge this way having it be like you know um steps of putting things in first and then the meat after you could you could decide to cook it that way in which case you could let the meat go in last and that would allow you to to not touch it until the meat was done and you wouldn't and you wouldn't deal with it um I uh, keep losing my son. Okay, but even if the coals were not raked, right? So even if the coals are still hot, um, or and they were also not um covered with ashes, um wait, even if the coals were not raked or covered with that, yeah, it is permitted to place a pot next to it on the outside. So this is similar to how we think of a blech. So a blech is hot. Right. But um because it's not an oven, this is why some people won't cover the items on their bluff, right? Also because of fire hazard, but um, because it's not the heat is not surrounding it, the the elements, as you all know, are creating both hot and cold coming at this at this item. And so it's not gonna cook, it's just gonna remain hot or warm. Um So you can put it next to the item or you can put it on the outside. So you can still benefit from the warmth, even if it's not going to be you sticking something into an oven. Just check the chat really quickly. What's a blech? A blech is the same thing as a, um, what was the other word I was using? Like a hot plate. Like you put, you put it on a stove that has either a pilot light on or just your, your burner down very low. And it can either be electric and therefore you don't do that, um, or it can go over your stove top and and use the fire of your stove. They, a lot of people still use them. Um, The family that I kind of was adopted by when I was living in Israel uses one every single week. Um, Many people choose to not use them anymore because they are just, they can be fire hazards. Uh, and so many people have what actually what I have, which is a timer on their oven so that they can have their oven turn on and or off um, at a certain time and not have to worry about something electric staying on uh, or having your burners on for 25 hours. So that's what a blech is, but and some people use them and really enjoy using them. Um, and other people have have stopped. Um okay. If it was fired with straw or stubble, it is permitted to allow a pot to stay on it even if it was not grufa. So that's that's the raked uh coals or ketuma, um, which is when the ashes cover the coals. So the, because we assume that with straw, right, it's going to go out more easily. It's okay for the, for the item to stay on top of it. Whereas if it's coals or something that are, that are going to maintain heat longer, uh, that's where, that's where the issues could come into play based on what's going on with the (laughs) coals at that time. Um, again, the way that we think about this today is obviously not coals, but more so, are you going to be futzing with the the stove top knobs or with the the um, degrees on the st- in the oven or anything like that? Those that would be considered kind of stoking the coals these days is moving the heat around, right? Whether that's to make it cooler or to make it hotter, um, somehow uh, dealing with the heat and the heat level. Okay, so the Rama, Rabbi Moshe Israelist, the Ashkenazi voice says, if two kirastos, remember that's the cauldron kind, if two kirastos are joined, one beside the other, with an earthenware partition between them, if one is gerufa or ketumah, meaning the coals are raked or they're covered in ashes, and the second is not, it is permitted to allow a pot to stay on the one which is, even though the one which is not will add to its heat. So what is this saying if you have four burners and you have your um your hot plate your non electric hot plate on top of your burners uh and the burners are obviously on underneath that hot plate you can choose to put something on the non heated uh burners because they're going to still benefit from the heat right even though the 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 fire is is on one side you can use either side. You can use the side that isn't quote uh, raked, or you could use the side that is, and therefore not on and and uh, conducting direct heat. However, as for a tannur, so now we're out of the Ramah, we're out of Rabbi Moshe Isserlis, we're back into um, the Shochan Aruch voice, Yosef Karo. As for a tannur stove, right, like a pizza oven type stove, even if it was fueled by straw or stubble, it is forbidden to place a pot even adjacent to it. Even if it is garuf vekatum, meaning it's been raked and it's been the ashes have been put over the the coal, so now it's getting cooler faster. The, you can't do this, right? The the tanur, because if you think about a pizza oven, if you fill it with heat, it goes all the way around. It's not like a cauldron that the heat is only on the bottom. An oven has the heat going all over the place. Think of, you know, oven like you have in your home, oven versus stovetop, right? The heat is either coming from the bottom or coming from kind of all sides of it. And so if you're talking about an oven, you can't put something next to it because the heat is being conducted all over, not just from the bottom, which would would allow less heat to come from the side of the item. Um so an example of this is if you have a pot of boiling water for pasta on a burner and you want your i don't know brussels sprouts to stay warm, you can put them in another vessel next to the boiling hot water um, uh, burner because it might get warm but it's definitely not going to cook and it's definitely not going to be hot whereas if your pizza oven outside is fully hot, you put something right next to that, you can totally cook, right? Because it's very, very warm on the outside as well. Obviously not in today's day, that wouldn't be safe. But back in the day when ovens were, um, were dome shaped, and the heat was was being conducted it kind of uh, evenly all around because remember we were making bread on the side of the of the oven etc that is we imagine that even on the outside you would be enough heat would be conducted to be able to cook everybody with me okay um but, Oh, so the Ramah says, as long as it is yad so let it bow. So yad so let it bow means that if you were to touch it, your hand would recoil, right? It wouldn't be so hot that you would burn yourself, but it would be so hot that you would know not to touch it again. So for a kettle, for example, if you're not sure that the kettle, not on Shabbat, but just in general, if you're not sure if the kettle has boiled the water yet, because you left the room and you didn't hear it, and so you, you come back and you, touch the kettle, you're, if it's very hot, if the water has boiled, you'll just, you'll pull your hand back, right? You haven't harmed yourself, but you, you can tell that it's, that it's hot. So you recoil your hand. So that's what Yad it Bo means. It goes without saying that it is forbidden to let a pot stay within it or on it. And so if something is that hot, you can't leave the pot in it or on it. As for a kupach stove, which has room for placing one pot on it where it was fueled by straw or stubble, it has the status of a kira. So there's a different kind of stove. Seems to be kind of the same as a cauldron where it's just coming from the bottom. I I I couldn't tell you what a kupach stove is. Um, But it seems to have the same status as this kind of cauldron where it was fueled by gefet, that that oil um, pulp or wood, it has the status of a tanur. So if it is conducting enough heat, even if it seems to be more like a pot, but it's conducting enough heat that it's surrounding it like a tanur, like an oven, then you have to keep the status like a tanur, like an oven. Um, oh, interesting. The, the commentary here says our types of ovens, like in today's day, have the status of a kira. Or well, I guess not in our day, it's the Ron, But it's an interesting point here that the the ovens, even a few a few hundred years later, that the ovens that they're referring to in their lives are more similar to a cauldron than they are to like what we have, which would be more of a tanur. Which is interesting. Um, and if he forgot and left it on the stove, if it, if 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 it is tavshil, if it's cooked all the way, it is permitted, even if it is food that improves as it condenses, right, This meat, stomach, but Um, right, as it gets challenged, just gonna use that as an example, right, as it continues to cook, it gets better. But if it is a dish that is beginning to cook and is not cooked all the way, it is forbidden until Motzei Shabbat. So this gets back to Annette's question. If it started to cook and then you had to deal with it such that now it's really not cooked all the way, you can't eat it until Shabbat ends. So you're it's fine to let it continue to cook throughout Shabbat, right? You can leave it now to do its thing, but you can't eat it until Shabbat is over because if you ate it on Shabbat, it would be as if you were eating something that was cooked on Shabbat, which is forbidden. Yeah, with me? Sort of? Yeah, Mike. Maybe
2: that's the origin of Malava Malka. <laughs> to be able to eat the stuff that you couldn't uh, eat. During yeah. Finals.
1: Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Um, that It's definitely one of the ways in which that food is used, right. Is, is to be able to, to have a purpose for it after the fact. Um, I don't know if that's originally where it came from, but it's a very creative, a very creative reason for it to exist. <laughs> um, Diane, was that you who was going to say something or Annette? I thought I heard a woman's voice. Tyva, was it you? No? Okay. But if it is a dish that is beginning to cook and is not, oh, I already read that, where one deliberately leaves a pot of food, it is forbidden in both cases. So if you know that you've left a pot of food, right, and, and it's, um, you know that it's going to be cooking, then it's, you can't eat it. It's forbidden to you. You know, you knew what you were doing, right? A lot of Judaism, a lot of Jewish law is based in intention. So if you didn't know that you had that pen in your bag, right, it's very different than if you knew you had that pen in your bag. If you knew that you were putting a pot of food out for it to cook, that's very different than if you either didn't know or you expected it to be done before it was before it was actually done. That's a very different case than putting something on the stove minutes before Shabbat actually starts, knowing that it's going to cook on Shabbat. Um, the Ramah says until a time period has elapsed after Shabbat, during which the cooking done on Shabbat could be done. So let's say, um, uh, what's a good example? Let's say you made a casserole, and this was the type of casserole that you could leave for hours, but it would be done after three. What the Ramah is saying is that if you if you let it go all day, because you knew not to touch it on Shabbat, even though you couldn't eat it on Shabbat, you now have to wait three hours after Shabbat to eat it. Because it's as if you were cooking and so you need to give it that amount of time. I've always thought this was very funny because like, who's going around and checking? <laughs> right? Who's saying, show me your recipe and tell me how long it's supposed to be, you know, in the oven or whatever. But this is the halakha that if you knew that something was supposed to take a certain amount of time, don't eat it for that certain amount of time at, until after Shabbat to kind of build, again, that intention around not eating it in the time that it needed to cook. Um but if a non-jew puts it back on on Shabbat so back on the stove on Shabbat the law is the same as one who forgot it and left it and if a jew puts it back on the stove the law is the same as if as one who intentionally left it on so you can see here that it's different right the non-jew doesn't have first of all any any laws to them in terms of whether or not um uh whether or not there's cooking happening on Shabbat, right? A and non-Jew doesn't need to care about that. And so the the rules are a little bit more lenient. But if a Jew is the person who futzes with the with the cooking, then that um then that it's as if you've intentionally done something to cook on Shabbat, even if you haven't. If the food condensed through more cooking to its detriment, it is permitted because you receive no benefit from the forbidden thing. So if something burns or gets dry or whatever, you you're not uh you haven't done anything wrong because it's to the detriment of the dish that you left it on. Um and so therefore you wouldn't have done it on purpose. So now we're back in the Aruch. It says there are those who say that where it has already been cooked to the degree of ma'achal drusai. So there was a guy, it says it here kind of in the in the um commentary, there was a person who was who would eat food a little bit before it was fully cooked? Okay, so basically, what they're using this as is a metric for being able to say if it was something that this guy would have eaten, then then it's fully cooked, right? So if he would have eaten chicken right before it's fully cooked, which no one should do, um, that is considered fully cooked because that's that's when he would have eaten it. It's a little bit harder to talk about in terms of like poultry and meat than it is vegetables, right? If if you really like your Brussels sprouts brown, right, like when you roast them, but they come out and they're not yet brown, they're they're still cooked, right? You just haven't done them to to the extent that you want them done. Um, so it's to the to the degree that you would eat it safely. I would add, even though that's not what the Shulchan Aruch is saying, um. As opposed to though the way that you completely wanted it. Or it is completely cooked and further cooking will improve it, it is permitted to leave it on the Kira. Okay. Um that's that called yeah, my-
2: And I actually thought that that was the the rule. But apparently, at least at at Caro's time it was it was the minority opinion.
1: Well, the minority opinion no, this is this is him. This is the shofanaro.
2: But he says there are there are those who say. Oh, I
1: see what you're saying. Got it. Um, yeah, yeah. It seems as though he was adding the minority opinion here. Um, to it's kind of it's a it's a little bit meta actually to like add the minority opinion into the majority uh, text, um, which is what we then we then understand to be the halacha. But yeah, you're right. It got in here as the as a minority opinion. Um, and then the Ramah says. Or even on a tanur, right? He's extending this even to a tanur. So this is even more stringent. It's not just for a kira, but it's also if you put it into an oven. Even one fired with gefet with this olive pulp or wood. And even if it was not garufa or katuma, meaning um raked coals or ashes put on the coals. In this opinion, garufa katum and firing with straw and stubble were mentioned only when the cooking process has begun. But has not reached the stage of ma'achal ben drusai, or when one has removed the pot from the stove and desires to return it on Shabbat. So we're only talking about these, these coals in the case of the cooking, um, the, the beginning of the cooking process but not the end of the cooking process, right? Not, we're not worried about the part, the point at which the food is actually already cooked. Um, we're worried about it at the point where the cooking has begun, um, where one forgets and leaves a pot of food which has begun to cook, but has not reached the stage of this, like almost cooked or cooked to your liking. It is forbidden to eat it. um, it goes without saying where one intentionally leaves it there that it is forbidden to eat. Uh The people's custom is to be lenient and to, to follow the last opinion. Right. So, so the, the last opinion here is to basically say it's only the case that you can't eat it. If you've intentionally gone out of your way to leave that food there um, at a time where it's going to continue cooking on Shabbat Um But that it's basically raw, right? Like when Shabbat starts, it's raw. And so the actual cooking is happening on Shabbat, but not, not like cholent, right? Not to the extent that, that it would, uh, only be better in like 18 hours, but you know, soup that needs 20 minutes or whatever. You wouldn't want it to then sit longer and longer, but you, but you intentionally put it out. Uh, right before Shabbat started and that's not okay because now it's going to be cooking and you're going to want to eat it right after it cooks, which will be right after Shabbat starts. Um, so this is all about kind of figuring out the right timing for when to start cooking things, when to know when a thing will be done and if it remains on the stove or in the oven and, and what that does to the, uh, to the dish itself and therefore when it can be started, right? You wouldn't put in raw chicken two minutes before Shabbat starts because you're gonna wanna take that chicken out after 20 minutes. You're not going to wanna take that chicken out after 17 hours. So you have to be intentional about when, when you start the cooking process um, based on when you would come to quote, stoke the coals. That was a very, very long halakha, so we're actually not gonna, we're not gonna go on to the next one. But it will be more about this, more about the the heating and the the maintenance of heat process on Shabbat in terms of cooking. Any questions about this? Yeah, Diane, just unmute first.
4: Sorry, go ahead. All right, Bob had to unmute. Um, You mentioned you have a stove that you've got a Shabbat clock on. Yeah. I think all the discussion has to do with with stoves that don't have the capacity to have a Shabbat clock. Okay. So so the question I have is um for those who don't let's say who who don't have a, a stove with a Shabbat clock versus those that do, how is it interpreted differently?
1: So the and
4: also and also Shabbat clock you
1: they have it for both gas and electric stoves. Well, mine's just for my oven, not for my stovetop. Ah, okay. So, so the way that it works with a timer is that you still have to be done with the cooking, right? You can't, um, you because you're not touching it doesn't mean that if Shabbat starts at five or six o'clock that I'm going to put it in at 5:58. Um, because you're still going to take it out after a certain amount of time. So the timer on the on the oven really only works if you're going to be using it like a blech, right? If you're going to be using it uh, during the winter months, I use it a lot for this, where <coughs> sorry, I go to shul at 4 p.m. and I want something that's already completely cooked, but to be heated for dinner that I'm having at 7. So I put it in the oven and the oven turns on by itself uh, and then off by itself, but turns on by itself at 645 just to heat it, not to cook it, but just to heat whatever the item is. Um, and, and again, this would be meat mekh peralo, right? If it stays in the oven for too long, it could go bad or get dry or whatever the case may be. So that's how that works. It doesn't, um, it, it doesn't, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, compromise the the cooking law it just has to do
3: more so with the heating piece
1: but the law for cooking is the same
3: yeah uh, Table. um so it's a little bit of an off-the-wall question and you may have covered it but i think it's because you were contrasting uh, ashkenazi the caro and uh, versus the caro and i started wondering In some of those countries where it gets really, really hot, if you had something that isn't a stove, it just isn't a stove, but let's say it's a metal railing or a metal sculpture or something that's hot enough to cook something, is that like a blech, like the rules for the blech? Because a blech isn't a stove, it's a thing that's using a source of heat. Yeah, I, I don't know enough
1: about conductors of heat like metal rods <laughs> to know if, if you were to put something on that metal rod, how quickly it would cool, um, because it wouldn't be getting the heat from whatever source it was receiving the heat from. So I don't really know, but I would assume yes, because if it is warm and you're putting something on it, you would want to make sure that A, you couldn't um cook on it and b that you that it was only conducting enough heat such that if the thing on it uh continued to cook which it probably would need a lot of time to do that it would make it worse not better
3: because it's like you know the expressions about sidewalks being hot enough yeah. to cook something or yeah. even this wouldn't apply because you shouldn't be running a motor on Shabbos, but there yeah. are actually some recipes where you cook things inside a car motor. Sure,
4: sure.
3: Unless I guess you turn the thing off however yeah. many, 20, minute, 20 minutes before sundown or something. But I just wondered, all these other things that aren't stoves, did they then get considered bluffs if somebody were really going to cook with them for who knows why? Yeah,
1: I probably. Probably, yeah. I think that anything that's going to conduct heat that will keep something warm would probably be considered the same status. Yeah. All right. Um, I will see you all next week. Thanks for joining, and we will uh, continue with more heating utensils.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.